Hello and welcome to the very 225th episode of the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast. That's right, we put the numbers back on. I'm joined today by Matthew Lees. Hot dog. Matt's nodding at me with his eyes closed and a coffee in his hand, which shows how sleepy we are. Mm. We filmed video. We filmed a lot of video footage yesterday. Yes. We played a board game this morning. Oh, yes. It took us like an hour and a half, but we did it early. I think that actually... I'd go out on a limb and say that playing the board game this morning has made was maybe more tired than maybe a day of filming. <laughs> um, but that's not a bad thing. It was a crunchy game. It was a crunchy game and maybe too crunchy for breakfast. Yes, exactly. I mean, you did have, I wonder if also part of that is because you ate a whole can of beans. Whole can of beans. The theme of today is bean juice. I yeah? have been eating bean juice from a can of beans uh-huh. and now I am drinking the bean, bean juice, juice from a can from a different kind of bean. Yes, I was going to say, Matt is holding a cup of coffee, not a cup of baked beans. From Harico to coffee? <laughs> On this podcast, we're going to talk about three different games. We're going to have a big chat about Gollum, a mega crunchy combo-tastic Euro game by some Italian designers that we think is rather good. Mm. We're going to talk about Resist, a solo game from the David Thompson, Trevor Benjamin, Roger Tankersley design trio. That's about being the French resistance and trying not to die. And we're also going to be talking about this week's video review, which is for a game called Stomp the Plank, a frightfully silly game about elephants going into the sea. Oh, splash. They'll be fine. First up, we're going to talk about Gollum. This is the game that we played this morning. It's the game that is responsible for Matt being the sleepy husk of a man that he is now. Well, a thousand yard stare. I feel like that might be, you know, multiple decades on this planet that have, that have done that. <laughs> but no, I think I think this game has definitely been responsible for it today. Gollum or Golem? Golem or Golem? We say Golem. Golem. But it might be Gollum. I say Gollum. But that's Gollum is like the little guy. The little from guy. The rings. Golems world. can be little guys too. That main piece of art in this game makes the golems really look like little guys. <laughs> okay, right. We'll come Let's back get... <laughs> to the little little guy. Okay, okay. The little guy, of course, is Gollum. Golem. Golem. G O L E M. That's Not. the point where if you're listening to the podcast, you will be going, Oh, that and we're probably both saying it wrong, and you're furious. This box looks like a sinister beast from afar. It's got a very <laughs> sinister looking uh, chap on the front of it who is made of bricks. Yeah. And in the game itself, it's not nearly as frightening. It's quite jolly. <laughs> it's quite cute. It is a Jewish culture and history inspired game about the idea of what if you make an automaton out of bricks and mm-hmm. mud and metal and stuff and they could help you do things. Wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> a robot, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... They've worked with um, some consultants, at least one who's been given their blessing to the game, who's a history of the Jewish culture and uh, Jewish history, to make sure that it's not kind of just using all of this iconography and using this stuff in a way that's flippant and dumb, Mm -hmm. which was obviously an immediate concern. Whenever I open it up and I'm like, oh, there's a big synagogue and menorahs, I'm like, I hope that somebody's asked anybody about this (laughs) because I don't know enough about it Uh to really have any kind of informed opinion. Yes. What you're going to be doing in this game, though, is Euroy game stuff. Mm-hmm. This is a smorgasbord of options, and it's a classic example of a game where it's like, hey, there are like six different things that you can be doing in this game. Yes. Choose one or two. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, it's over. Did you do any of them very well? Yes. No? Probably not. Well, it's over That's now. That's kind of what happened to you this game. Yeah. It? <laughs> and it's not the first time I've played it. Usually the first time I play a game, I'm like, oh, it's over? But I didn't do anything yet. And then the second time, I'm like, not today. Right. But actually, 
yes today. Yes. Basically, there's this game is, I think it presents as being huge, complicated, crunchy, difficult monster of a game. But really, it's like surprisingly simple and surprisingly quick. Like we played this game in about an hour and a half at two yeah. players. Um, we already knew how to play. So add on maybe half an hour for a teach. Well, not half an hour for a teach, like 20 minutes for a teach. Mm -hmm. It's pretty breezy. What you've got is you've got this big main board that has uh, rows on it of buildings. Those rows of buildings are separated into a little track where your scholar runs along, your scholars, your students, and a little track where your golems run along. Uh, there are spaces on that track that you can activate. You can do stuff with your golems later in the game. We'll talk about that later. Because mm. the core of the game is a marble action selection mechanism. Yeah, yeah. There is a of course. 3D synagogue building that actually looks a little bit crap. It does. And I think that's actually quite like, I was going to say quite realistic, but that is just offensive. But no, I think like... I. From the synagogues I have seen, mm -hmm. they are really impressive buildings, but in quite strange and subtle ways. Mm -hmm. They're very like big and consistent and often very brown mm -hmm. in a way that's but actually I'd say this is gonna sound ridiculous, but they're striking to me in the same way that Halo games are striking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that doesn't sound ridiculous at all, man. <laughs> Look, if you've ever played a Halo game, right, uh -huh. then like, often you, <laughs> you've been to a synagogue. You, you boot them up and you're playing them and you're like, yeah, the graphics in this are fine, right? right? It's like big green fields and stuff, and you're like, okay, fine. Big things. But then you play it a lot and you start to realize that actually it's not plain. It's there's a subtlety to the detail, a subtlety to the beauty that sometimes you catch objects and things in certain ways. That actually, you think it's not basic. It's just unassuming, and there's right. something about it overall which is actually very striking. But it it isn't immediately striking. Do you think that applies to the synagogue in this game? No, <laughs> uh, I just think that it's actually very difficult to convert that sort of subtle architecture yes. into a small cardboard Into thing. four pieces of cardboard. And it's one of those things where actually I'm glad that, you know, it's one of the things where it would have been better to arguably have a cardboard dice, dice towery ball producing structure. Right. Like the gizmos thing. Like the gizmos thing, mm -hmm. which was maybe, you know, founded in, in uh, like, Catholicism or something, you know, <laughs> something that was like golden and ostentatious and curvy and you know, I, too much. If, if I look at the Gizmos uh, thing, it actually really reminds me of Call of Duty Modern Warfare. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say Gizmos is the most traditionally Catholic <laughs> aesthetic <laughs> I've ever seen. No, it's, it's, yeah, it does look crap. It's, yeah. just, it's, it's sort of, it's strange because it's, it's quite large on the table as a mm -hmm. presence mm -hmm. and it's just a, a, it's basically just a, a brown triangle. Yeah, big brown triangle with a little tray on the bottom of it. I've got it. I've got it with us live in the room. Yeah, well, this um, is the thing that's kind of useful is that I'm going to sort of try and explain this game, but I can kind of see the board from mm. here, which is actually quite useful. So what you have is you have a load of marbles that are going to get dispensed from this synagogue every round, and then what you're going to do is you're going to spend one of your turns plucking one of those marbles from the rows that they neatly fall into. Uh, the color of marble that you take is going to move your corresponding guy up the track. So blue marbles correspond to the blue track, red to the red track. And these roughly correspond to the three areas of the game as well. So, you know, Matt alluded to this idea earlier that there's an area you're going to try and specialize in. And there's sort of three core areas that you can go for. The first one is books. You mm -hmm. can stock yourself a little library full of Knowledge. these books. Knowledge. Thinking. So if you pick a blue marble, you can move your guy up the blue track and you can maybe spend some knowledge to do things like buying books to put in your library. And each book is going to give you some little bonuses. So the more mm -hmm. books you have, 
the better that gets. It's like a little mini engine building card thing. Mm -hmm. The second area you can specialize in is golems. You can make golems or golems. You can build more of them. You can send them out into the world, toddling along to go and do tasks for you so they yep. can reap benefits from the board. You can also upgrade your golem to do more specialized stuff. Mm -hmm. And the last area is sort of alchemy, I suppose. Yeah, I, I think it's just it's more just traditional economics. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just some money, so you'll you can spend... do things with, and then baking jewelry as well. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I don't know if it's supposed to be alchemy. I, I thought it was more like kind of smelting and producing beautiful items. And... I simply don't know. I don't know. I just either. know it's the yellow area. Of I just the board. get carried away because they have like lovely little wooden gold bars, and, and like, I want Ooh. to collect them. And every time I play, I get lots of them, and they don't really get me points. <laughs> but I do have a lovely time getting them. But these, you're basically gonna like spend a bit of money to buy gold, which you're then gonna sock it into these little machines that will spit out sort of income every round. They'll generate points for you for the rest of the game. But you can kind of build your devices depending on what kind of playstyle you're going for, which is yes. a little bit of flexibility. Um, and so the sort of shape of the game is you're going to take two of these little marbles per round, which will give you move some people and let you take different actions. And then you're also going to take a rabbi action, which are these special one-off actions that change each round. And that is the whole round. Yeah. Three actions per round, four rounds. That's the whole game, and I mean, which is tight. Three actions per round. It's really two actions per round. Right, right. You know, the, the rabbi action you take is something that sometimes you want to grab early because you think, I want to do that or I want to stop someone else from doing that. Mm -hmm. But really, in terms of the way you're engaging with the main game, you only get to do two actions every yeah. round, and there's three rounds, uh, four rounds, four rounds. Okay, that's I. Yeah, it felt shorter than that <laughs> in, a, in a good way. So you only get to do eight actions mm -hmm. for the whole game, which honestly, considering the amount of things you feel like you've got to do, that's not fair. It's not enough. <laughs> it's not enough. Uh, you know, you you get your these two actions. It's lovely. You pick up the little ball from the from the tray. You go. And you put it onto a player board has two little oh, golem yes. eye holes. Mm -hmm. So you pop them on, and it's kind of hilarious because they just become these these googly <laughs> 3D eyes, three D googly golem. You know eyes. The, the gems that go in the the eyes of the of the golem. But when you take these actions, there's a nice element in the fact that yes, you've got these different coloured marbles that have different effects in terms of moving specific types of your scribes up these tracks. Mm. But the main thing is how many there are in each of these trays because they're going to be getting you resources based on. How the, many? How many there are there. And that multiplier then lets you do more things. Mm -hmm. And then you can buy things, but also upgrade things. This is one of those games where there's so many things you can upgrade. It yeah. reminds me a little bit of like Taverns of Tiefenthal. Oh, sure. We reviewed yeah. a long time ago. That was much more cohesive and satisfying, I think, in terms of the upgrading, in mm -hmm. terms of this feeling of like you are upgrading a place. Yes. Whereas this, it's very fun mm -hmm. in terms of you're flipping all these things over. That when you're upgrading the golem thing, you're flipping over parts of a large. I'm going to upgrade his leg. Yeah, I'm going to like flip over the leg and He's then flip got over head the head. Now. Yeah, but it does mean that one of the things that we've had with this game that really slows it down is there are so many things you can upgrade, things you can get, things you can do. That the iconography, there's like, you know, sometimes in the back of a manual you have like, here's what the iconography on the special cards right, means. Right, right, right. Like this has that. This has that, but it has about four or five pages of that <laughs> because it's like, here's what the golem's shin means. Yes. Here's what this means. Yes. And I think because of the interconnected nature of the board and the interconnected nature of all the things that can happen, the iconography doesn't quite manage to be as obvious as you'd like. It's close. It is. It's very close. Every time we're like, I think it means this. And it normally does. But not always. And we always want to check because yes. there's that uncertainty that's always there. 
And I, we've only played this, well, I've only played this with two. Mm-hmm, same. And I, I, I worry with more players, it could be a lot slower. I agree. Um, partially because of the fact that, yes, you can be planning ahead in terms of what you want to do, mm-hmm. but fundamentally, it does still come down to being one of those racing line games of, if I have exactly this many coins, then I can do this, yes, and then yes. that lets me do this. And as we discovered, most of the time, turns in this are very quickly, very quickly over. Yes. You put a thing down, you get the resources, you spend some of the resources, that happens, that's the end of my go, mm-hmm. your go. But the capacity for crazy combos every now and then is huge. <laughs> yes. Like Tom almost found himself in an infinite golem factory <laughs> at one point. I think that like it's quite hard. I think we've maybe done a bad job of sort of explaining what the game kind of is to people in terms of like what you can do on your turn or what the game sort of exists as. It's quite a hard game to sort of picture in your head. But in comparisons to other things and what it feels like, this is a game where it's a your first round, you're maybe like spending a couple points to get like one or two things. And you, you'll sort of be doing that throughout the game, but there's this slow ramp where on some of your turns, you will just, your engine will click into place and everything will just go beautifully for you. Yeah. So yeah, I had a turn where um, I had everything lined up in the right place. I had my golems in the right place at the right time. I had my actions in the right place. And I just managed to get this thing where I could constantly buy new books that made me more golems that let me buy more books and had this turn that just went on forever. And then it was your turn. You went, I'm going to do this action and take four gold. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, the, there is that sort of like combo potential, but it's also a very opportunistic game. Yes. I think having that marbles uh, thing at the start of the turn where you roll a random set of marbles into the synagogue means that, sure, you might, you know, my engine was really good if I took the blue marble and it was really good if I did knowledge action. So if a blue marble's in the knowledge spot, ooh, lovely. So I'd always take that. But then oftentimes that wasn't the case and it was about seeing what came out of the synagogue every round and adapting what I was doing. Yes, there's a, it's real, I think, a chaotic energy to this, which I really enjoy. <laughs> yes. Um, I like the fact that, uh, again, there's lots of little fiddly rules and this is partly why we're struggling to explain it. Mm-hmm. It's not too complicated once you're going, but it's tricky to teach and tricky to get your head around some of the systems. Agreed. But things like the passing mechanic. Oh, yeah, that's super weird. It is. But being able to be like, okay, I'm actually going to pass. But then when you pass, you're not out for the round. You just choose one of the balls that you'd like to be out of Mm -hmm. the roster. And then you basically re-roll all of the balls and see if the actions are different. Mm -hmm. Having a game where you think, okay, I want to do this. I'm going to invest in, like, knowledge. Yes. In your game, for example, like the last game we played, Mm -hmm. you were mad for books. Mad for books. trying to get in on books, Mm -hmm. but I couldn't get the library upgrades. The librarians... They just weren't available. Didn't like, didn't love you anymore. And it was hard because when those balls kept coming down the chute, there were lots of balls on knowledge every time. Right. Which meant that you were having a great time with books. I was kind of having a difficult time because there were other things I could do with that action. But the actions I were hoping were going to come up in terms of, you know, big value were not appearing. Mm. But I like that adaptiveness. And I like the fact that when you do pass, you get the ability to re-roll all the balls. And there is that element of like, Please, maybe the, the ball <laughs> I want is going to be in the column. All gods, or will you know, be in my favor. But even without that, there was an element of just pushing it and being like, "What can I do this round?" Yes, and I like the fact that even the the golems themselves that they're these these characters that you put on the map. Mm-hmm. They are increasingly expensive if you want to have lots of them on the map. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have lots of them on the map, things get dangerous because of the fact that they are legging it off yes they are legging it off into the distance the more golems you have at the end of every round they're going to move a certain number of spaces and if you have like 10 golems and you have 10 movement points they'll move one 
that's fine. But if you have one golem and you've upgraded that track, so you have like 10 moves and that golem is going to shoot off. You're going to leg it. And at the end of the tracks, the golems can like walk a certain number of spaces. So not only at the end of the round, you have to pay knowledge to control them between mm -hmm. where your guy is and where the golem is. If they get to the end of the track, they're going to start costing you points. So you want their movement to be slow and steady, just like plodding along and getting you bonuses. Should we talk about our head cannon for what happens when it's time yeah. for a golem to stop? Yeah. Yeah. We, I mean... Uh, there was lots of sniper rifle. Uh, <laughs> and the idea that these scribes, these like junior academics, Students. were basically like going, oh, yeah, the guy's out of control and being like, we need to take it down, take down the golem. So there's a little <laughs> graveyard. A <laughs> there's a little graveyard that gets you things when you're like, I'm going to retire a golem. <laughs> retire in inverted commas. And then you just get a bonus for putting it in that slot. And that's a thing. But usually you want to do this because the golems don't really come back very often. They just keep walking across the board very slowly steadily. and yeah often if you can't keep up with them with your students then you have to lose a lot of knowledge to pay for that and also there comes a point where it's like we gotta stop that <laughs> we gotta golem. stop that golem because they Get just him. they go they go fast <laughs> so get the sniper rifle out i can take the shot it, i like the push your luck mechanic of that though in the fact that you can get the, the key thing about why you would want to have lots of golems on the board mm -hmm. is that there's an ability that lets you do activate all the golems. Yes. And then it's funny because a lot of the board is taken up by these tiles that are the things that you get when you activate the golems mm -hmm. in those spaces. Mm -hmm. And actually activating the golems is a very small part of the game. I think that there's, I realized in that last game when I was in my infinite golem loop that I think the fact that you can activate so many golems with one action means yes. that potentially if you build into that, you could be taking, rather than two actions a turn, yes. you could be taking tons of them. Some of those spaces are so juicy, but then that requires very deft management of your golems. It does, and that's the tricky thing. Is First of all, you've got to get lots of resources to do it. Exactly. And then when they're all on the board, you have to make sure that you're controlling them yes. and that you're actually not letting them go too far. Because mm -hmm. the, the implication is that like you're maybe testing this, this automated worker and then if it goes wrong, it just starts running off into the residential district. <laughs> causing and chaos. Just causing chaos. So that it, it gets to a point where for every step they go further into the, what I headcanon as the residential zone, yes. uh, you're having to either pay lots of knowledge, presumably just turning up and apologizing profusely. I'm so sorry <laughs> for my large clay son. Or you're losing victory points. Right. Um, and having that of like wanting to push them along the track to get juicier bonuses, mm -hmm. but also then being like, how do I stop? <laughs> Was a lovely back and forth. Honestly, I think this game is delightful. It's 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 a bit more brain burny than I can deal with sometimes. Sure. In terms of sometimes it feels very simple. Sometimes it feels very like, oh. I, th I think a lot of that comes from it. The thing I really like about this game and really clicked into in our second game is how really beautifully intermeshed those three sort of areas are of the yeah. game. There's, you know, there's books, there's golems, and there's the sort of gold, shoppy, you know, whatever district. Those three different parts of the game feed into each other so well that even though I was just gunning it for books this game, I found myself gently folding in those other areas in a way that was very satisfying to, like, always have to keep your eye on the three different plates that you're spinning at any yep. given time. Yeah. And there's a lot to think about. And also it did feel like, you know it felt messy enough that there wasn't a perfect game. You know, there's, there's sure. all sorts of things. Like, you know, there's a, a each round there's a, a bonus that you can get if you have the exact correct two colors of ball in your golem's eyes, which means it's like, okay, can I use a red and a blue ball and still do what I want to do? And, and really, sometimes it's better not to do that. If, yes. You know, it's... Especially because on top of just needing those two marbles, you also sometimes need to pay for that action as yes. well. So it's like there's so many different things you need to consider 
to yeah play the perfect game to sort of steer your ship through all the systems and there's so much randomness with those marbles as well and what other yes. players are doing in the game as well so and i kind of feel like actually the the randomness of the marbles is a good gatekeeping mechanic I because i think that if without that this game would be something that potentially with the wrong groups could just slow down to a horrendous trudge because because yes. you do have these things that are going aha but i'm gonna get my free upgrade action and the down uh, upkeep which means i want to do that <laughs> and this you could really be crunching into some hellish like I have four of that exactly enough to do that, which gets me eight of this exactly enough to do that. And especially with the idea of like, oh, well, I've just taken a turn. So that's worth three gold now instead of four gold. Mm. People having to go, well, I need another 10 minutes to plan my turn. <laughs> I just feel like there's enough chaos at the edges of it that, that those types of players and people listening might go, no, 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 I'm not interested in that. Right. Um, it's kind of a good thing because yes. I think there's a degree to which this game has to be approached with the mindset of that'll do. You know, like I've, you know, yeah. going with your gut rather yes. than going with the let's work out the exact maths if of this. If you don't like that feeling of being at the end of a game and being able to see all the things you could have maybe done differently, then it's not the game for you. Like no. I, I ended this game with I think that it, it gives me to chase though, right? Uh, even though you could never really like play a perfect game, the fact that I ended my game with just shed loads of knowledge left over was like, oh, well, maybe I shouldn't have gone so hard into that knowledge upgrades early on because I knew I was going to get to a point where I had it all at the end. Maybe you should have left some books for the rest of us. You should have been a sillier boy. You little book-hungry worm. We like this game, right? We think it's good. I really like it. Um, I'm not sure how much I like it, but I like it. I like it. I think I like it quite a lot. I think the question that Quinn's raised when I said that I liked it, this is his influence seeping into the podcast. Mm. He said, sure, you like it, but does it displace anything in your collection? And that's a hard question because I don't know whether it does. But it is... It's really robust. You could do a lot worse in a game like this. I think it's strong, especially at two players. Quite nippy, surprisingly. And simpler than it looks. It looks absolutely horrible and baffling. But yes. it's actually really pretty simple yes. in terms of what you're doing. There's just some naughty iconography. It could do it like there. an A3 player board assistant. Yeah. Like, here's what the iconography <laughs> means. And I mean, the iconography, like we, we mentioned right at the start, that there's a hilarious thing in the fact that... The, it's so good. The golems, the representation of golems in this, in this game is hilarious because again on the front of the box it's this really ominous striking ominous sinister piece it's of a art. great cover it's a brilliant cover brilliant piece of art i love it but then the actual like meeples for it <laughs> are just these slightly funny chunky guys yeah like chunky. they're sort of like a regular meeple but just like a little rounder and tubbier it's like a giacomo man <laughs> uh, which is a reference to a uk brand that's specifically for big lads hey you want to buy you, you know it's like this big called... shirts for big lads from giacomo from giacomo i'm sure you've got an equivalent in the us um and then the iconography on the cards that means <laughs> golem is this kind of a slightly more sinister looking version of those meeples. He looks a little like, vacant on the on that standard piece of iconography. Yes. But then there's <laughs> they kind of drop that. They drop the kind of like, well, let's make the image of it in the manual look like a real stone character, but still in the exact shape and flatness of that meeple. Mm -hmm. So then being like, well, actually now it's a picture of him walking. And they haven't like continued it to make it look like he's a, a folding gingerbread man 2D thing just kind of becomes a 3D guy. He's a little tubby guy. He's a little tubby 3D guy. And <laughs> the, energy, the energy he has with his walking is like, it's kind of like a jolly version of the Kool-Aid man bursting <laughs> yes, through the yes, wall. Yeah. You know, it's like... Which I think is even funnier when we're with our headcanon <laughs> trying to kill them. <laughs> where it's like, we're going to take the shot. Bum, 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 bum. 
it's I mean, it is beautiful having that hubris of being like, look at all my cool golems. Look at all the bonuses they're getting me. Oh God, come back. <laughs> they're out of Stop control. It. It's um <laughs> Yeah. No, it's it's uh it's good. Yeah, it's a How good, good game. We don't know, but maybe in the future we will know. Matt, I want to very quickly tell you about a little solo game that I've been playing. It's called Resist. Mm. It's from the design gang who brought you games like Undaunted and War Chest, etc. Uh, this is Resist. It's a little game where you play the Spanish Revolution. And all I want to tell you about this game, because I don't know how much more we're going to cover it or play it, because I'm finding it hard to find time for solo games at the moment. Mm -hmm. uh, but I just want to say that it's really good and it's really solid. And if you're a solo game player, you'd probably get a big kick out of it. Essentially, this game has you playing Spanish resistance. You've got a deck of people who belong to your resistance. They are nice guys hanging out with you, wanting to take down some bad folks. You've also got a big set of missions at the top of the board. So imagine these are just all cards. Mm -hmm. You've got a set of cards at the top, which show a bunch of missions you can go on. And above those are a bunch of face down cards represented guards who are guarding those missions. The way that you win the game is by taking out a certain number of these missions. You have to take uh, down the commander of the enemy, right? You've got to take... Leslie Miserables. Very good. Name. This is Leslie Miserables. Yeah. Wait, I think you're the Spanish resistance. Did I say French? You said French. Shoot. Let's just retcon this. Well, that's my, that's my Leslie Miserables joke in the bin. <laughs> no, we're keeping it in. No! Because I like Leslie Miserables as the I've... end boss of the French Revolution. But I made a fool of myself. I know. And now I've made a joke, so we have to keep it in. Okay, fine. It's fine. So you're going to choose your mission that you're going to go on. There's going to be a bunch of enemies on that mission. They're all face down. And then the way that a round plays out is incredibly simple. All you do is you look at your hand of cards and they're sort of split down the middle. On one side, they have what that card does when it's hidden. On the other side, they have what that card does when it's revealed. And the top, they've got a strength. So you might have like a one strength card when hidden or it's like five when it's revealed. You put those cards down and you activate their little abilities that might be things like reveal enemies so you know what you're up against. Mm -hmm. Or they might be things like draw more cards from your deck. Well, they might be things like remove spies from your hand. So spies are cards that just do nothing. and They go up the works. And as an additional lose condition, if you ever have five spies in your hand at the start of a round, you just lose the game because your resistance is too corrupted. The thing that I just want to highlight about this game and why I think it's kind of amazing is that that choice between revealing or keeping your people hidden is so juicy. Because if you keep them hidden, they're not very good, but they go back into your deck. Yeah. If you reveal them, they're going to die for the cause and they get removed from the game permanently. Right but they're really strong. And I started playing this game with the first mission, uh, thinking that I'd try and you know keep things on the down low for the start. But the game immediately makes you make horrible decisions because your cards, when they're hidden, have a strength of maybe one or two. Guards have a strength of one or two. There might be four of them protecting a mission. And the mission itself has a strength of like eight or something. Wow. So immediately you have to think about sacrificing people for the entire game from like round one on. You're talking about like for the campaign or for, just the, for the whole game that you're playing? It's right. not a campaign game. It's just a, a okay. one and done. Right. You play a series of missions. And then if you manage to do enough missions, you win. If you don't, then you lose. Um, and I think that there's something there about this game being, and like all the good solo games, like uh, Under Falling Skies, uh -huh. uh, like a lot of the games that Quinn's covered in his solo print and play video, just thrive on being unbelievably difficult. And this yes. is another one to add to that canon of a solo game that makes you make really tough decisions about your resistance straight away. And the cards are so, the illustration here is, Top class. Uh, it's done by yeah, it's really lovely. Done by an artist called Albert Montes, who also did a really good uh, version of uh, Kurt Vonnegut's Slaughterhouse Five. Yeah, um, it's really good. Yeah, uh, check that out if if you want to read Slaughterhouse Five in a fun new format. Um, but the art is amazing, and the characters have such 
the characters have so much character on the cards that when you makes sacrifice them, harder them to kill. makes them so hard to kill. Mm. Uh, and also the difference between them hidden when they're revealed, the art is so much more desperate somehow. And there's also a real change between the characters. There's a guy who, like, one of your characters looks kind of bookish and nerdy in the hidden side. And then his revealed side, his glasses are broken. He's got a machine gun and he looks all ragged and it's like his final stand. And it's like, wow. it has that feeling of these just being ultimately, like, normal people who are taking on this, like, incredibly daunting and, like, difficult task. That's cool. Um, it's great. I, I, I just wanted to give it sort of a brief shout out because I've not played it much. Yeah. Um, but for a tough brain burny solo game that I was just like, in me, like my housemates were just watching me play it and I just made lots of well, I think you're, I think noises. you're bang on though. That, like that is the, the greatest strength within the space, I think, for solo games. Yes. And I'm sure that people who are solo gamers won't agree with this and they, they like a variety of things and that's fine. But the, the biggest issue you have sometimes with board games is if a game is too crunchy and too hard then it just mm -hmm. slows it down right but with one player there is no slowdown exactly it's always your go it's so you can make it as crunch as you like because yes. there's no hurry mm -hmm. which is a, a really interesting strength and it's good to see people like lean into that yeah yeah there's there's also i just i just remembered one of the choices that i really like as well is that with the missions you can still complete them so say it needs like 10 strength for a mission Another thing is, is that even if you reveal loads of people, you might still not have enough strength to take on the mission and all the people in it, which means or all the guards in it, oh. which means you're then looking at their abilities and being like, what can I sacrifice? And sometimes what you're sacrificing is civilians. There's a deck of cards that you're just killing. They just kill civilians. Mm. And that's a lose condition. But sometimes it's like the best choice to like keep the resistance going. And I just think it's so like ponderous and crunchy and nasty uh, as, a, as a box Grim. that you're always kind of sort of like choose what losses you're going to take because you're always going to take some right uh fabulous fabulous little box sounds very cool really, really I, yeah I, I i as i said at the start i just i can't do solo games it's like, hard i've i've realized i've tried many times but i've realized over the past few years i think working with other people on should sit down because for such for a long time it was just me and quinn's playing games all the time sure. right so when you're doing it with more people in different setups you sort of i've sort of realized my strengths and weaknesses within that space right and i realized that like actually like the things i'm worst at mm -hmm. at board games are the bit where you have to set it up <laughs> the bit where you have to put it back in the uh -huh. box and the bit where you have to read the manual right and like solo games it's like <laughs> you're, you're there's no all. getting away from it i have to do all three of those things and it's like Oh, and you know, the thing is, when I get towards the end of setting it up, I'm like, oh, actually, it's great. I'm like, oh, I'm excited to play this right, now because right. I'm remembering all the mechanics. Yes. But I'm so bad at those parts and I enjoy those parts so little most of the time that it's just it's just so hard to do it. It's like going to the gym. I think that's what a lot of people like about solo games, almost the ritual. of Yes. It. And I think that if you can key into that, then you're laughing. But if you find that bit laborious or a chore, then... It becomes a chore. It becomes. This boring. is it. Like I, I have, we talk a lot about the fact that like, yeah, you you do enjoy putting games away. Love it, especially if you like the game. And I've got the thing where if I like the game, I will put the game away properly and lovingly. <laughs> mm -hmm. But I still don't really enjoy doing it. It's more like a, <laughs> it's like a a duty. Right, it becomes a thing of being like, no, I like you, so I'm gonna. It's like doing the dishes. But yeah, it's like I do the dishes and I'll do a good job at it out of a duty and respect. Yes. not because I'm enjoying myself. Right. And it is that thing as well of like, I think the reason I got on well with Under Falling Skies, I think, not only because it's really good, was because Quinns had already covered the print and play version of it. Mm -hmm. I kind of already had an understanding of what the game was. Yeah, sure. And it meant that I, when I was reading the manual, you were like, yeah, yeah, I yeah. got it. I got it. Sure, and like, sure. I'm, I'm really good at being taught games, but I'm really bad at, at learning them from 
written words. I will say that Resist uh, is a solo game, but it could just as easily be played by two players holding one hand of cards between them, making the decisions <laughs> holding, holding hands. Holding hands. Underneath the table. Yeah, exactly. You can do that. I think that it is a crunchy enough game and the decisions are maybe even better shared. Although yeah. thematic, like, oh my God, moments could even be better with two players. So that's also completely an option for Resist. It doesn't have to be a one player only thing. Interesting. If you're comfortable with sharing. Yes. But it's nice to cover these things every now and then, especially. I just, I find it hard. Flipping do it. Finally, going to have a little mention to Stomp the Plank. This is the video reviewer this week. A joyfully silly and sort of nothingy game that is absolutely delightful. It's so silly. It's just imagine, if you will, a small box mm-hmm. with some plastic elephants that are quite large. They're good. Hand painted. And they look so scared. They look very haunted. <laughs> and uh, it's a delight in the fact that this game, basically, the box itself becomes the game in the fact that the box is like, wooden looking like a ship mm-hmm. you have these planks magnetic are magnetic and they clip onto the box being like Bunk! and then you put the elephants on and the elephants are walking the plank and then the idea is that the table is the sea and effectively it's a push your luck game where on your turn you just choose to keep drawing cards and flipping them over mm-hmm. there are seven different types of card that you can flip and if at any point you manage to flip six cards in a row without any duplicates, you win the game. You are the king elephant of the high seas. The game is over immediately. You won. Well done. Because you've, I think that the canon of the game is that you've stolen, uh, you're stealing treasure from the captain. Right. Um, which, you know, I, I knew that. And in the review, I have my own head canon about what's going on. And I completely ignore the actual canon <laughs> the as law. written. The elephant uh, the law. Elephant law uh, because I can. And I want to. Mm-hmm. Having that as a mechanic of being like on the first turn, you can win on your first game. You can just win. It's, it's so over. juicy. I think everyone went for it in the first round of the game that we played because like, we Drew, were just crazy. I've seen someone do it. Drew won. We well play done. a game and the first game, he just sat and he just won. It's like, <laughs> that's the game over. Thankfully, once you've ended the game, it only takes about three seconds to start playing again. Indeed. What you're doing is you're flipping over cards. And as long as you don't get two of the same, mm-hmm. You can keep going. If or you, you can stop. Well, you can stop. Why wouldn't you stop? Because you don't have to go very far down this track of cards before you can stop. And then other players have to add little chunky wooden tokens to the ends of their planks whilst you smile. Mm-hmm. So really what you've got is a brutal push your luck game. Not even like the classic diamonds like, oh, if you get three of the same, though, mm-hmm. it's like two of the same. <laughs> which, means, <laughs> which means I've had games where like over and over again, people are just drawing the first card. Well, the first card, I might as well go on because you don't have to do anything. Yeah. Second, second card, card, it's the same. And people just going bust on two cards yes. over and over again. Yep. In a way which seems so unlikely, but it's hilarious. And we should also mention if you go bust, you move your elephant one step closer to the end of the plank. Yes. So you've got this really lovely thing where on one side of things, if you push your luck, then and and you are unsuccessful you move your elephant forward on the plank if someone else pushes their luck and is successful they weigh down the end of your plank so yes. it's this lovely feeling of like and i think that there's something about that that twin the fact there's never a consistent tipping point you can never work out exactly where your elephant needs to be and how heavy the end of the plank needs to be to tip him over yeah and i, I love that middle ground of, of just it being this miniature dexterity game of being like and I hope this is yeah. maybe going to be fine. The thing I like about dexterity and balance games is that, yeah, it does like 
it does tap into a part of our brain that makes us think like we know more about things than we that do. We've got like a knack. Yeah, that you're like, I think I've got a technique that's yes. kind of going to break the game or, mm. or this is the best way to stack the things. Right. And I, I think particularly as a, a, a game for children and families with children, which is definitely the intended market audience. Yeah. Um, having that like kind of head law of being like, ah, oh, but I have got my special technique for like, <laughs> I move the elephant by sliding him yes. rather than, but it's like, none of these things are perfect. And all of these <laughs> things can go wrong. Like the sliding technique feels strong, mm -hmm. but if you apply just the slightest amount of downward pressure with that finger, yep. you're you goosed. Just, you're goosed. You're in the sploosh. <laughs> You've goosed it into the sploosh. Um, and it's just lovely. The fact as well that like, you know, you draw two cards, fine, draw a third card, fine, draw a fourth card. You should stop because mm -hmm. you get to put all, look at all these wooden pieces everyone else will have to put. But then the closer you get to the end, yep. it's just the horrible, like, it's but like, what if, but what if, but it's what like if. Eldritch, really. It's like, <laughs> you, you know, like, oh, but I'm so, I could just win. Mm. Like, you know, this is already an amazing turn. Just stop. But I could win. You could just be that guy. Oh, and yeah, it, it's it's brilliant. It's delightful. It's that's it. There's really nothing to the game. It's a beautiful production. It's a beautiful small box, and um, kids love it. Um, I love it as an adult. It's definitely like something that you can just get out and play uh, in a in a bar or after a couple of drinks, and it is. Delightful. Delightful. Do, do check out the video. You don't even have to watch it. You can just watch it on silent and you'll just see some video footage of it and go, ah. You'll be like, wow, those elephants look so scared. It's great. That great is little game. Stomp the plank. And that is also the end of this episode of the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast. We talked about three games. We talked about Gollum. We talked about Resist and we talked about Stomp the Plank. What about one of those games for much longer than the other two? The other two little fun little morsels, fun little treats. But Gollum big and chunky. It is big and chunky. Now we're going to make like those big golems and get out of here. Into the water off the plank. Sploosh! Woo!